Hi, my name is Eloise, and welcome to the Take Me to the World Musical Theater Podcast, a podcast where I talk about musicals. This episode is episode number 12, and today I'm continuing my series, Analyzing the Musical Cabaret. Specifically, I'm going to be discussing the 1998 Broadway revival version of Cabaret. If you haven't done so yet, please listen to the previous episode. This is where I go into why I'm analyzing Cabaret and talk about the history of this musical. I also talk a little bit about some of the adaptations of the musical and my own experience with the show. In that episode, I also give you some tips on how you can watch Cabaret, because Cabaret is not a sung through musical, meaning there are important scenes of dialogue between the songs, so watching the musical, if possible, is strongly encouraged, although I am going to be breaking down the scenes and the songs in this episode for act number one. So that being said, there are going to be major spoilers for act one of Cabaret and possibly for act two as well. Consider yourself spoiled for Cabaret from here on out. Cabaret is a musical intended for mature audiences, and adult situations will be discussed in this episode, as well as in this podcast, I sometimes swear because I get excited about musicals, so I just have a general listener discretion is advised. I'm not a musical theater expert, I'm just an enthusiast, so there will be likely things that I've missed. As well, I'm only going to be looking at the 98 revival version of Cabaret, as mentioned before, and not any other versions. Finally, be sure to subscribe to this podcast to get notified of new episodes. If you want to listen to past episodes, you can head to my blog, takemetotheworld.com, click the podcast category at the top of the page, It'll take you to resource posts for each episode with links to where you can listen to the cast recordings, watch the musicals I discuss in the episode, and of course, listen to the podcast episode itself. In the last episode, I kind of gave you a little short overview of the setting of the story and the characters, and I'll do the same thing here. So Cabaret takes place in Berlin, Germany. Much of it takes place in a nightclub called the Kit Kat Club. The musical starts on December 31st, 1929, and ends in April or possibly May of 1930. There are kind of seven main-ish characters. They are the MC of the Kit Kat Club, Cliff Bradshaw, an American writer coming to Berlin for the first time, Ernst Ludwig, a man Cliff befriends on the train to Berlin, Berlin Schneider, an older lady who runs out some rooms in her home. Herr Schultz, an older man who is one of Fräulein Schneider's tenants. Fräulein Kost, a young German lady who is also Fräulein Schneider's tenant. And Sally Bowles, a singer from England at the Kit Kat Club. And just as a quick FYI, I'm sure you guys probably know this, but if you don't, Fräulein is the German word for an unmarried woman, like a, a miss or Ms. Herr means mister in German. There are also various performers, male and female, at the Kit Kat Club. The actors and actresses playing these roles also kind of double some other minor roles of sailors, customs officials, and partygoers, and I'll discuss characters more in depth in the next episode. I've broken Cabaret into um, like 25 different songs and scenes. I'll also mention that I'm not going to be saying this is Act 1, Scene 2, Act 3, Scene, whatever. If you want to know that, you can rent a copy of the libretto and explain how you can do that in the previous episode. Cabaret starts off with a song. The song, the opening number for Cabaret is Wilkman. This song takes place at the Kit Kat Club on stage there. It uh, has the characters of the MC in the Kit Kat Club performers. And the song is diegetic. Now, I did talk about diegetic and non-diegetic songs in musicals in a previous episode. But just as a quick overview, a diegetic song in a musical is a song that usually happens as a performance within the world of the musical. So the characters in the musical in that setting would see whoever's singing this song as them doing an actual performance. So any song that takes place on stage at the Kit Kat Club is going to be a diegetic song. So Wilkemen is the introduction to the musical. This is kind of a setting in a tone song rather than a song about um, plot or characters. The MC sings and he doesn't really tell us anything about himself. He kind of introduces us to the performers at the Kit Kat Club. And then we get introduced to one of the main characters at the very end of the song, Sally Bowles. But we don't really know much about her. The MC just says she's the toast of Mayfair. 
Mayfair is an affluent area of London, England. Uh, the song's very tongue-in-cheek. There's a lot of sexual innuendos. The MC is a very charismatic and flirtatious kind of character, but he doesn't tell us anything about himself. From this song, we get the sense of the world with Cabaret. At least this one is inviting and fun with an anything-goes kind of attitude. Of course, a lot of this seems pretty tame nowadays, but in the context of the show, a nightclub like this would have been pretty risque, I, I think, in the 1920s in Germany. And, and that's something that kind of comes up at other points in the musical, too. There's different numbers where it's like, oh, this is a little scandalous. But like nowadays, it's probably less so. But, you know, back then it would have been. Uh, this song has lyrics in German, French and English uh, to showcase kind of the international city that Berlin was at the time. In the 1920s, it kind of been a renaissance of four of sorts in uh, film and art in Germany, particularly in Berlin, which had attracted a lot of international visitors to the city. So basically in the song, it's not all in German or French, but what they do is the MC sings a line in German, he sings the same line or word in French, and then he sings that in English. So I'm going to be honest, I don't really know much German, but could I quote all the German that I know from the musical Cabaret? I sure can. The message of the song is literally uh, just kind of a forget your troubles and just have fun because you're at the Kit Kat Club where anything goes and this song is a bit of a meta song too, because we in the audience watching the musical Cabaret are also seen possibly to be members of the Kit Kat Club. If you're looking at the idea of escaping to a couple hours of entertainment, uh, that would apply to basically anybody watching any sort of theater, which anyone watching the musical Cabaret is literally doing at the time. It's not just, hey, patrons at this made up Kit Kat Club in the story of Cabaret, forget your troubles. It's you, the audience, stop worrying about what's going on in your personal lives at home and watch the show and just have fun. I can't remember if I mentioned this in the episode I did about opening numbers, but Vilkeman is one of my favorite opening numbers of musical theater. I think even though it doesn't really give you any kind of plot or character information, really, it gives you information about the setting and the tone of the show. So it, it's just a great establishing number, and I fucking love it. So after the song Vilkeman, we have a scene of dialogue between Cliff and Ernst. This takes place on a train car going to Berlin on December 31st, 1929. The characters in the scene are Cliff, Ernst, and a couple customs official. Here we meet Cliff Bradshaw, the American writer, who's on his way to Berlin for the first time, and we also meet a German man named Ernst Ludwig. Cliff asks Ernst if the seat next to him is occupied, and when he finds out it's free, they sit down and they kind of have a chat. This first part of the scene where Cliff is asking Ernst if the seat is free, this takes place in German, but from the context of the show, and you know, you, you can kind of clue into what's happening, even if you don't know any German. I will also mention there are some other brief scenes of dialogue in Germany in the musical, but again, you can understand what's happening from context. And so we have a border control official who comes in to check the, the men's passports and their bags. He marks Cliff's bag as being checked, but he doesn't actually check it. And then he asks Ernst to open up his own bag. And so while Ernst is opening the bag, the officer is checking it, but he doesn't see that Ernst has pulled out a briefcase and has hidden it alongside Cliff's bags that have already been marked as being okay. So the officer then asks Ernst if he has any more luggage, and Ernst says, no, he doesn't. The officer leaves, and Cliff asks what was in the bag, and Ernst says, bottles from Paris, perfumes, silk stockings, but it's more than permitted, do you understand? And Cliff says he understands, and Ernst says, you know, thanks for not saying anything, and they kind of make plans to go out for New Year's Eve. Cliff says that he's a writer, and he's looking for a place to stay, and so they have a chat, and Ernst mentions that he knows somebody with some rooms to rent out, and so he gives Cliff a card with this lady's name on it who has some rooms to rent. Cliff kind of says like, oh, I'm not going to be able to afford anything that fancy. And Ernst says, no, don't worry. This isn't going to be that fancy. You'll be able to afford it. It'll be fine. 
So after the scene, there's a sh really short scene with Cliff and the MC from the Kit Kat Club. Now, the thing with this scene here is it's not a literal scene. We see Cliff, technically, I guess he's still on the train, but not really because they darken the theater lights and it makes it look like he's not on the train. But, you know, the magic of theater, that's what that is. Uh, and the, the MC from the Kit Kat Club is behind him and he's welcoming us and Cliff to Berlin with a few lines from the number of Wilkman. This isn't a literal, here is the MC from the Kit Kat Club and he's standing behind Cliff Bradshaw and he's actually saying, welcome to Berlin. Like that's not what's going on. It's a figurative symbolic kind of thing. It's basically the MC beckoning Cliff and anybody else who might not be tempted yet to enjoy ourselves and explore the seedy side of Berlin. So it's not a literal scene. It's a symbolic scene showing the temptation that awaits Cliff in Berlin. After this, we have the scene where Cliff and Fräulein Schneider meet. Uh, so this takes place at Fräulein Schneider's home. Characters here are Cliff and Fräulein Schneider. So Cliff is looking for a room to rent from Fräulein Schneider. Uh, she's trying to get him to rent a, a nice room for 100 marks. And marks was the currency in Germany at the time. Because she says it's kind of fitting for a writer like himself. And Cliff says he doesn't have a lot of money. And he can only afford to rent a room for 50 marks. They kind of go back and forth a little bit. But Schneider eventually says that she'll rent the room for 50 marks. She says, you say 50 marks, I say 100 marks, a difference of 50 marks. Why should that stand in our way? As long as there's rooms to let, the 50 I will get is 50 more than I had yesterday. An important thing to know in a historical context was Germany in the 1920s went through a really, really bad currency inflation sort of situation. I did a little bit of research, I attempted to, and I mean, I know this Scene takes place on December 31st, 1929. In uh, 1930, a German mark was equivalent to about $4.20 US at that time. Fräulein Schneider was looking to rent out the room for about $420, presumably a month in 1930 currency, which adjusted for inflation is over about $6,500 today. And remember, Cliff was looking to just rent out a room in Fräulein Schneider's home. He wasn't looking to rent out a whole apartment. It was just a room with a bed and, you know, table and chair and kind of thing. Basically, Fräulein Schneider, she she wants to get this room for more money, but she also is very pragmatic, and she kind of knows that, like, okay, I guess it's better to rent this room out for something rather than to wait and not have anybody take the room. So that line that she says leads us to the next song of the show, which is So What? Setting's the same setting as we were before. Character singing the song is Fräulein Schneider, although Cliff is also present. This song is non-diegetic, and it's also the first song that directly involves the plot that's going to happen during the show, the plot that takes place outside of the Kit Kat Club. In this song, Fräulein Schneider uh, sings about her past and kind of her present life, and we learn that the past was really good for her and the present isn't really great. She sings about how she once had a man, but her figure was dumpy and fat. Once he died, she lost a bunch of weight. I mean, she doesn't literally say she lost a bunch of weight, but she says, you know, he, he's never going to see the uncorseted me. And the line of the course of the song goes, so what? And it's not an attitude of, uh, I, I did, my life is horrible and everything's bad. It's an attitude of, ah, so what? Who cares? Things are not going great right now, but what you're going to do, it's it's all good. So we get the sense from this song that Fräulein Schneider is pretty resilient and pragmatic. Uh, her stational life has changed, but she's not going to dwell on that. She's just going to keep going. So as mentioned, this is the first song that involves a plot. Uh, most of the songs in the Kit Kat Club aren't necessarily about the plot in a literal way, but represents an aspect of the plot, a previous scene, or a character in a more symbolic way. 
the songs that don't take place at the Tech Club in general in this musical directly involve the plot. So after So Wet, the scene continues on with uh, Cliff, Fraulein Schneider. We're also introduced to a few new characters, Fraulein Kost, Herr Schultz, and a sailor. Fraulein Schneider answers the phone, rings, and Cliff meets another tenant of Fraulein Schneider named Fraulein Kost who comes in to ask Fraulein Schneider about the lack of hot water in the building. A sailor also runs in looking for Fraulein Kost. And Fräulein Koss says that that's her nephew from Hamburg. But we can tell she's lying and so can Fräulein Schneider. From the context of the scene and other scenes to come, we can infer that Fräulein Kost is likely a sex worker of some kind. We can also infer that Fräulein Schneider does not approve of that sort of thing. Fräulein Schneider is a bit old-fashioned and she probably does not approve of two unmarried people uh, having a sexual relationship. So Fräulein Koss has said this sailor is her nephew just not to get trouble with Fräulein Schneider. Even though Fräulein Schneider isn't stupid, she knows what's going on. Fräulein Kost leaves and Fräulein Schneider kind of apologizes to Cliff about Fräulein Kost, but Cliff says that as a writer, he kind of finds her fascinating. Another tenant, Herr Schultz, comes in and knocks on the door. He's another tenant of Fräulein Schneider's and he runs a fruit market in another part of the neighborhood, which is Nollendorfplatz. Nollendorfplatz, as an aside, was the area of central Berlin that Christopher Isherwood lived during his time in the city. If you haven't listened to the last episode, Christopher Isherwood was the British novelist who wrote the story Goodbye to Berlin, for which Cabaret is loosely based on. Nollendorfplatz is also a prominent gay neighborhood in Berlin. I don't know if it was at the time or if that's something that evolved over time. And uh, I will point out that Christopher Isherwood was gay. So Herr Schultz has come in and he has invited Fräulein Schneider in for a glass of schnapps during the New Year's. Herr Schultz wishes Cliff good mozzel for the New Year's, but he says it's Yiddish for luck. They leave to have a drink, but before they do, Fräulein Schneider tells Cliff to knock on her door if he needs anything, and she welcomes him to Berlin. So the next scene takes place at the Kit Kat Club, and this is where we see Cliff at the Kit Kat Club for New Year's Eve. The characters in this scene, which is a pretty short scene, are just Cliff, Tex, and Lulu. Tex and Lulu are two of the Kit Kat Club performers, and they each kind of approach Cliff and flirt with him and ask him if he can buy them a drink. And this is a short scene, again, kind of showing the temptation that awaits. One of the things I want to note is that in the original production of Cabaret, Cliff was not implied to be gay or bisexual. Whereas in later adaptations, like the 1998 revival, he is. I think this may have changed to pay a little bit of homage to Christopher Isherwood, who, as I mentioned earlier, was also gay. But I don't think Cliff is supposed to be 100% completely accurate biographical representation of Christopher Isherwood. You know, Christopher Isherwood was British. Cliff Bradshaw is American. I don't think it's a. this isn't a biographical character necessarily. I think, like I said, it's more of an, an homage. Then we got another song. The song takes place at the Kit Kat Club, and this song is the first song sung by Sally. It's also with the Kit Kat Club girls. So because the song is at the club on stage, it is a diegetic song. At the beginning, the MC introduces us to Sally Bowles, and she sings a song called Don't Tell Mama. And in the song, Sally sings about how she was supposed to join a convent, but ran away to perform at a nightclub in a pair of lacy pants. Pants is a British slang referring to underwear. We in North America would call pants people across the pond would call slacks or trousers. The important thing to know about the song is it's not necessarily supposed to be a biographical song of these events really happened to this character. It's a song at a cabaret nightclub that a performer is singing. But we don't really know much about cabaret, so we can't say for sure if this is or isn't true. It could be true. Parts of it could be true. Parts of it might not be true. It might be a made-up story. It doesn't really matter. With the cabaret performers, aside from Sally later on, we're not really given any information about their personal lives or background. They're just performers at this nightclub here to entertain us. Most importantly, this is a song to A, bring us back to the fun world of Kit Kat Club where we can just enjoy some entertainment and have fun. It's a distraction from the real world and from the through plot of the musical. You know, we don't have to think about how much money Cliff is spending on 
the room that he can't afford kind of thing. And B, it's also a song to symbolize the attitude of Sally and one might say Berlin at the time or this part of Berlin because I mean Berlin was a massive city and it can't really say everybody had the same attitude but I think it sort of represents the the whole idea of the the seedy underbelly of Berlin in the 1920s and sort of anything goes sexual escapade kind of scene that was happening at the time the next scene happens it's also the Kit Kat Club it's still New Year's Eve it's just continuing on from the previous song so in this scene Cliff and Sally talk on the phone in the Kit Kat Club this was something that happened, uh, it was pioneered in Berlin nightclubs in the 1920s, where they would have a rotary phone on the tables, and you would pick it up and the phone line would be connected to another phone on the other side of the club, so you could talk to a stranger at the club. Cliff and Sally are talking and they're kind of flirting, and he pretends to be from England, but Sally, who really is from England, kind of notices that his accent isn't right when he says the word absolutely. Cliff then tells Sally that he's actually from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and she's very fascinated to meet an American. And she asks him to recite something, and he recites some of the poem Casey at Bat. They talk for a little bit, and Sally says she'll buy Cliff a drink later. Then Sally goes, and Cliff then talks to Bobby on the phone, who's another performer at the club. And we learn that Cliff and Bobby had met before in London at a bar called the Nightingale. Bobby invites Cliff backstage after the show. I did try to find out if there was a real Nightingale bar in London, whether or not it might have been a gay bar. I did find a pub called the Nightingale Pub, but I don't think that's what this musical is referring to here. So I think it's just a made-up bar, mostly likely implied to be a gay bar, it's set in London for this music. So then we see the Kit Kat Club owner named Max, and this is another minor character played by one of the people who play the Kit Kat Club performers, but it's not actually a Kit Kat Club performer because the world of theater. We learn that uh, Max is going to replace Sally for the show. We hear them arguing. Sally says she be, should be given some notice. Max tells her she should organize a union and join the communists. Sally then does some drugs. The whole join the communist thing might seem a little out of place, but as mentioned in the previous episode, the character of Sally Bowles is also very loosely based on a real person who Christopher Isherwood knew during his time in Berlin. This lady was named Jean Iris Ross Coburn, and she was a lifelong member of the Communist Party in England. But like Christopher Isherwood and the character of Cliff, the character of Sally, I think is more of an homage to Jean Ross Iris Coburn rather than being 100% biographical representation of her. For example... Later on throughout the show, we see that the character of Sally really isn't concerned with politics at all. Cliff knocks on the door and Sally answers. She's been crying, but she offers Cliff a drink. She says all she's got is gin. And she asks why Cliff pretended to be English before when he's American. And he said it was just a whim. And he asked if she's ever had a whim. And Sally tells him constantly, I used to love pretending I was someone else. Someone quite mysterious and fascinating. Until one day I grew up and I realized I was mysterious and fascinating. I'm Sally Bowles. So they kiss. It's New Year's Eve. And they talk for a little bit before Sally has to go on stage for a performance. So then Bobby enters with Victor, another Kit Kat Club performer. And they start flirting with Cliff. And it's clear that Bobby and Cliff did have some kind of a relationship or an affair in London. Although this isn't, you know, stated outright, but again, context. And Bobby and Cliff kiss, and Cliff is a little taken aback, but Bobby tells him to lighten up. This is Berlin. After this scene, we get a, another song, which is Mein Herr. Uh, mein Herr is German for Sir. It's on stage at the Kit Kat Club. It's sung by Sally and the Kit Kat Club girls. The song is diegetic. The song is basically a song about, we had a love affair, but now it's over and I can't stay with one man. There is part of the song that's in German. The German part, I went on to Google Translate. It just basically re reiterates kind of the same thing that's happening with the English lyrics. I mean, it's not exactly the same, but it's the same idea. 
And similar to Don't Tell Mama, we could see this song as being a biographical representation of Sally's past relationships, or maybe it's just a fun song to sing at a nightclub. But more importantly, the ideas in this song are foreshadowing the relationship between Cliff and Sally. After that, we get a scene. The scene takes place in Cliff's room that he's renting out from for lunch nighter. It's now January 1st, 1930. Characters in this scene are Cliff and Ernst, then Lange Schneider, and Sally Cummin. Ernst is at Cliff's room for an English lesson from Cliff, and Cliff is a writer, but he's trying to sub some money that he isn't making with the novel he hasn't published with, you know, teaching some German people some English lessons. They finish up the lesson, and uh, Ernst says to Cliff that he can, you know, now go and take his next pupil, but Cliff says he doesn't have any more pupils. And Ernst kind of makes some suggestions that Cliff should just enjoy himself and have some fun and invite a lady friend over, aka hire a sex worker. Cliff says he can't afford to do any of that, he doesn't have any money. And Ernst says to Cliff that he can supplement his income by taking some trips to Paris that'll pay well. Ernst doesn't really get a chance to expand on this, but, you know, we can tell it's something a little kind of shady before Fräulein Schneider knocks on the door and says that there's a visitor. So the visitor is Sally. Sally Bowles comes in wearing a fur coat and holding a suitcase, which shocks Fräulein Schneider because Cliff is renting this room by himself. And Cliff is also surprised by this visit, but Sally says she needs a place to stay. And Fräulein Schneider objects her saying with Cliff, you know, again, is a different time and Fräulein Schneider's a bit, you know, mindset that two unmarried people should not live together. Sally tries to barter with her and offer more money for the room. And when Sally says they'll pay 85 marks for the room, Fräulein Schneider agrees. So as much as Fräulein Schneider disagrees morally with what's happening or what, what might happen, she's also a very practical person and she knows she needs that money that Cliff and Sally can presumably offer her. So when Fräulein Schneider leaves the room, she addresses Sally as Fro Bradshaw, which means Mrs. Bradshaw, to pretend that like everything's on the level. And Ernst leaves as well and he seems kind of impressed that Cliff has gotten a girl so soon while in Berlin. So Cliff and Sally start talking. We learn that Max kicked Sally out. Sally kind of implies that Max was jealous of Sally and Cliff flirting the night before and kissing. She asks Cliff for some gin, and when he says he doesn't have any, she decides to make herself a prairie oyster, and she then proceeds to pull out an egg and a bottle of Worcestershire sauce from her coat. We can see that Sally Bowles is a bit of an eccentric character. They start to talk about Ernst, and remember Ernst was a regular patron of Kit Kat Club before, and he's likely talked to Sally and some of the other performers. Sally tells Cliff that Ernst smuggles in money for some political party, and we learn that Ernst hiding that extra briefcase among Cliff's luggage, as shown in the train scene, it's not the first time he's done this. Sally then picks up a book that's sitting on the desk, and she thinks it's the novel that Cliff is working on, but it's not. It's Mein Kampf, which is the book that Hitler wrote. And she asks Cliff about it, and he says he picked it up to learn a little bit about German politics. So we can see that Cliff has a semi-interest in politics, although this might just be to help him flesh out the setting of his novel. Sally, on the other hand, doesn't have any interest in it. Then Sally asks Cliff if he's gay, as Bobby had told her the two met at a nightclub, presumably a gay club in London. Cliff says it's possible, which could imply it's possible he's met Bobby before, and or it's possible that he's gay. Sally then says she withdraws the question, and she tells him that it's none of her business. So from context, we get that Sally is asked this, not because she's being judgmental, but because she's just curious. And when she sees that Cliff is a little bit hesitant about this, she decides that it's not really important, she's just going to move on. And that leads us to the next song. That song is perfectly marvelous. That's the name of the song. Uh, characters in the song are Sally and Cliff. The song is non-diegetic. It's a continuation of the previous scene, and it's a song about the plot, you know, outside the cabaret club. In the song, basically, Sally is trying to convince Cliff to let her stay with him, despite the fact that she doesn't have any money. This is the first song that Sally sings outside of the Kit Kat Club involving this plot, and it's also one of the only two songs in the entire show where Cliff sings. 
In the end, he's saying, oh, I met this perfectly marvelous girl, and she skillfully managed to talk her way into my room. So basically, he's kind of agreed to let Sally stay with him, even though he sort of knows this probably isn't a great idea. After that song, we get another song. This song takes place at the Kit Kat Club. Characters in the song are the MC and two cabaret performers. In the 1998 Broadway revival, it's Bobby and Lulu. Song is diegetic. The MC comes on stage and he says, So you see, everyone in Berlin has a perfectly marvelous roommate. Some people have two people. And this is a fun number with the MC and two Kit Kat Club performers. It's another just let's just enjoy some entertainment at the Kit Kat Club, not worry about other things. Now, I think there are different versions depending on the production of cabaret that there is. In some versions of this song, there are two ladies on stage, like in the 1993 filmed version that was on London on the West End. But in some of the productions, one of the ladies is actually Man and Drag, and this is the case for the 98 revival, as after the song, the MC points out the performers were Lulu and Bobby. This is a song where it's sort of, it's basically a song about a three-way, and it's kind of like a, ooh, scandalous, you know, it's two ladies, but one of those ladies might not be really a lady. So we don't really know much about the MC as a person, but from this song, we could infer that he is bisexual or even pansexual, although I don't think that terminology existed at that time. And if you don't know what pansexual means, it just means somebody experiences sexual attraction to others regardless of the person's gender or how that person might express their gender. So it includes those outside of the gender binary. But again, like the other Kit Kat Club songs, we don't actually know if the MC is really this person or if this is just literally a performance that he puts on for this nightclub. Song where you're supposed to be thinking, wow, what's the sexual orientation of these characters? Are they really in a relationship together? It's just a really fun kind of silly song where you're just like, oh, this is so much fun. That's basically the point of the song. Just enjoy the song. Just shut up and listen to the song and just have fun. After that song, we get another scene. It takes place at Fräulein Schneider's living room. At this point, we've kind of jumped ahead a few months. It's now April of 1930. The characters in the scene are Fräulein Koss, Fräulein Schneider, a sailor, a different sailor from the previous sailor, and Herr Schultz. So Fräulein Koss comes in with the sailor and says that this is her brother. And we know again that this isn't the case. And Fräulein Schneider again says she knows what's going on. And she tells Fräulein Koss that she cannot bring home these sailors. And Fräulein Koss basically says if there was no sailors, there would be no rent. Fräulein Koss says she can move out. But Fräulein Schneider says to her, the sailors, Fräulein Koss, if you want to continue living here, you must not let me catch you bringing in any more sailors. You understand? And Fräulein Koss just makes a remark that this is kind of the same as it's always been. They're just going to pretend that everything's not as it is. And she leaves. So Herr Schultz then comes in and he says that he's brought Fräulein Schneider something from his shop. He hands her a big paper bag and Fräulein Schneider is holding the bag and she's trying to guess what's inside. She looks in the bag and she remarks that the item inside the bag, which the audience cannot see yet, is just too rare and expensive and too luxurious. And that leads us to the next song. The next song is It Couldn't Please Me More. It's a continuation of the previous scene, still in Fräulein Schneider's living room. Characters in the song are Fräulein Schneider, Herr Schultz, and the MC. There's a little caveat about that. I'll talk about that in a second. The song is non-diegetic. The song is basically about the blossoming relationship between Herr Schultz and Fräulein Schneider. The gift that Herr Schultz brought for Fräulein Schneider? It's a pineapple, something that would have been very expensive in 1930s Germany. After World War I, Germany's currency suffered some serious inflation. In 1923, a loaf of bread cost about 428 billion marks. I'm not an economist by any means, but I do know that the German economy had not fully recovered from this economic turmoil by 1930. I also know pineapples are not native to Germany. So as an audience, we can kind of infer that importing pineapple in 1930s in Germany would have been difficult to do and quite expensive. 
Fräulein Schneider is clearly impressed with this gift. She understands that it's very costly. And she says, you know, if you brought me roses like some other gents might bring to other girls, it couldn't please me more than the gift I see, a pineapple for me. Now, the MC is in the scene holding the pineapple up. He's not interacting with the other characters. The MC, as a person from the Kit Kat Club, is not literally in Fräulein Schneider's living room. You know, it's not like he knocked on the door and said, I'm going to hold up this pineapple while you two dance around the living room. That would be ridiculous. Fräulein Schneider offers to slice up the pineapple and share it with Herr Schultz because he's, you know, given her this gift. But he says it'll give him gas, so she says that they'll just leave it there and they'll just admire it. They dance together and she remarks that such a gift isn't a proper thing to do. It's something a gentleman would give to his lady love. And Herr Schultz remarks to Fräulein Schneider that she is most deserving of this gift and he would fill her room with pineapples. Fräulein Schneider says goodnight to Herr Schultz and she leaves to go to her bedroom. Before she does, she says she is overwhelmed. So we have a short scene, takes place at Fräulein Schneider's living room, continuation of the previous scene, or from the previous song, but this time it's just Fräulein Kost and Herr Schultz. So Herr Schultz has gone to knock on Fräulein Schneider's bedroom door. He runs into Fräulein Kost, who sees that he's not going to his room, he's going to Fräulein Schneider's room. He just pretends that he's looking for a coin that he's dropped. He says it's a small groschen, which was one one hundredth of the Austrian shilling at the time, basically like a penny. Fräulein Kost makes a double entendre comment that she understands because she's looking for two marks. Herr Schultz kind of just shakes his head and knocks on Fräulein Schneider's door. It opens and he enters and the scene ends. Now we get a song. The song is called Tomorrow Belongs to Me. Now this song takes place, the setting of the song is in kind of a void. It doesn't take place at the cabaret, the Kit Kat Club. It doesn't take place in the real world. The characters in the song, it's just the MC, and the song is diegetic, because what happens is the song is coming from a gramophone. The MC puts a record on a gramophone, puts the needle down, the song plays. In the song, it's a child singing. The song is just a cappella. The song is kind of vaguely patriotic without referencing any particular political movement or country or anything like that. It's a song that could almost be considered a lullaby, and we sort of hear the static of the recording, and as the last line comes on, the, the person singing says, but somewhere glory awaits unseen, tomorrow belongs, and the MC shuts off the recording abruptly and finishes the line to me. I go back and forth between wondering if this line that the MC says, the two words of to me, are diegetic or non-diegetic. You know, is the MC on a stage somewhere playing this record? Is this a symbol thing that's not diegetic? I think you could kind of make the case for either one, just depending on how production is. Now, this song isn't about the plot. This song isn't about any of the characters, necessarily. This song represents the first tonal shift of the musical. The songs before this song, Before Tomorrow Belongs to Me, were very lighthearted, happy, naive. Velkman kind of just tells us there's no troubles here, just enjoy yourself. So what Caroline Schneider points out that the best moments in her life are behind her, but she's not bothered by it because it's all going to go on if we're here or not, so who cares, so what? Don't tell mom and mine hair or tongue-in-cheek numbers that Sally sings at the cabaret. Perfectly marvelous is Sally just flirting with Cliff and asking him to let her stay with him in his room, even though she has no money, and her charm kind of wins over Cliff, who's pretty smitten with her to begin with. Two Ladies is another tongue-in-cheek song at the cabaret with the MC and the two performers. Couldn't please me more. We see the relationship between Schneider and Schultz growing, where Herr Schultz gives Fräulein Schneider that pineapple. But they're all very, like, lighthearted and fun songs. And then Tomorrow Belongs to Me comes on. And after this, it's that point, the songs and the scenes kind of slowly start to get dark. And not on a whole, you know, the seedy underbelly of Berlin, anything goes party kind of darkness, but in a let's things are getting serious kind of way. Now, these signs were here before, but now it's a little harder to ignore them. 
So for the next scene, it's Cliff and Sally again. They're in Cliff's room. Cliff has gotten a letter from his mother back in America, and she has sent him $50. He tells Sally about this, and he makes a joke that his mother says for Sally to lay off the gin. Sally says they should go for dinner at the Adlon, and the Adlon is a luxury hotel in Berlin. Cliff jokes that they don't actually ever go to the Adlon for dinner. They have kind of a friendly back and forth where Sally says she feels sorry for dragging Cliff off to parties as he hasn't had a chance to finish his novel or really even start it. But Cliff says he loves those parties. He tells her, I like this whole town. It's so tawdry and terrible and everyone's having such a great time. Like a bunch of kids playing in their room, getting wilder and wilder and knowing any minute their parents will come home. Sally talks about moving out, but we kind of learn Cliff has started to really care about Sally. He tells her that when she's gone, their bed feels empty, and he's never felt this way about anyone before. Then Sally announces that she's pregnant. Cliff asks her what she's going to do, and she says the usual thing, I suppose. Now, from context, we can understand that this does not mean having a baby. This means getting an abortion, because Sally also mentions seeing a doctor and him being kind of mean. Cliff asks if she's going to tell the father about this, but Sally says she doesn't know who the father is. It is also implied that Cliff and Sally have a fairly open relationship. Cliff, though, kind of realizes that he could be the father, and Sally tries to kind of make some jokes about the situation, but Cliff is seriously kind of like, oh my god, it could be a father, this could be my child. And he asks her to reconsider the abortion. He says that they've kind of been drifting apart and a baby will bring focus to their lives and their relationship. As a side note, please do not have a baby to save your relationship. That's a bad idea. Now, Sally, we can tell she's not really into the whole I'm going to be a mother thing. She's never mentioned it before. She doesn't talk about it. She likes to perform at the cabaret and drink gin and that's fine. And this is kind of the first time that Cliff has ever considered being a father from what we can understand in this musical, but he's seriously like, oh shit, I could be a dad and maybe we should have this baby and we should raise this, raise this kid together. That leads us to the song, Maybe This Time. It's a continuation of the previous scene. The character singing the song is Sally, the song is non-diegetic. The song is kind of in the style of a performance at the Kit Kat Club, although it's not actually a performance there. It's the first song after Tomorrow Belongs to Me, which I considered the tonal shift in the show, and the song sort of reiterates the more serious subject matter that's going on, although it doesn't state this directly. This is the thing about this song. This is a song that, if you haven't seen the musical Cabaret, you may have heard this song. It's become fairly well-known outside the musical, but it's one of those songs that if you don't know what's happened in the previous scene, you would just think this song is just a love song along the lines of, should I stay with this guy? Will this relationship work? I don't know, is my heart gonna get broken kind of thing. The song is basically Sally trying to decide whether or not she should have an abortion. Should she keep the baby and stay with Cliff and try to make this relationship work and co-parent and kind of become more exclusive in a family unit? Or should she have this abortion and her and Cliff can just continue their open relationship? They don't mention the word abortion in the song. They don't say, you know, I'm pregnant or should I keep the baby? That's not any of the lyrics of the song. But from the previous scene, we kind of know what this song is about. Now, the song is still framed from Sally's point of view. However, it's not a I have a serious choice to make kind of song. I, I find it interesting because she sings, maybe this time I'll be lucky. Maybe this time I'll win. In the song, it's not really Sally considering, should I be a parent? Is this an important thing to me? Should I keep this baby? and raise this child with this guy that I'm living with because maybe he'll love me and then my life will be better kind of song. It's a very like sad song and there's a lot of different layers to it. I was also thinking that like maybe it represents British exceptionalism in a sense, but also like I, I don't know if that's how symbolic this song is. I think it's, you know, Sally trying to decide 
what she wants to do about this baby situation. So the song ends, continues, we're still in Cliff's room, continuation of the previous scene in song. The characters in this next scene are Cliff and Sally still, and then Ernst knocks on the door. Sally offers him a drink, and he says he's only going to have one if she joins him, which she does. Ernst brings up the idea of Cliff going to Paris again on one of those business trips, and Cliff agrees, but he says he doesn't want to know what it's about. Ernst tells him what he's going to do is he's just going to go to this address in Paris, he's going to pick up a briefcase, and he's going to bring it back to Berlin. And he's going to get 75 marks for it. And remember, Cliff and Sally are renting out this room from Fortline Schneider for 85 marks a month. So making 75 marks in just a few days seems to be a pretty good deal. They cheers to their agreement, or more likely they say prost because it's Germany. And then the MC appears and we're taking back to the cabaret Kit Kat Club. And he says, uh, so you see, there's more than one way to make money. This leads us to the song Money. Settings up the Kit Kat Club, the characters are the MC and the Kit Kat Club girls. The song is diegetic. This song is another kind of more fun number from the cabaret, but it's also a little bit darker than the other cabaret numbers like uh, Two Ladies or Don't Tell Mama. It's a song that's also gotten popular outside this musical, so people who haven't seen cabaret may have heard this song before. Now this song isn't about the group plot directly, but it's a commentary on it. The MC and the performers are singing about how money makes the world go round. In the song they reference the mark, the yen, the buck, and the pound, the buck being the dollar, which is interesting because Germany, the mark, and the Japanese yen were members of the Axis powers in World War II who fought against the allies of the United Kingdom, the pound, and the US, the buck. So after that song, we have a scene with Herr Schultz and Fräulein Schneider, as well as Fräulein Kost and another sailor. It takes place at Fräulein Schneider's living room. Fräulein Kost again is sneaking a sailor out of her room. When Fräulein Schneider sees this, uh, Koss asks her not to be lectured. She tells Fräulein Schneider, They're just lonesome, patriotic German boys. I have a duty. Uh, then Fräulein Koss sees Herr Schultz exiting Fräulein Schneider's bedroom, and Fräulein Koss decides she's going to kiss the sailor at great length, and she tells him to come back and bring his friend next time. Fräulein Koss also tells Fräulein Schneider that they're sisters, basically implying that Fräulein Schneider, you know, is also having sex and she's not married. And Herr Schultz gets... Very offended by this, and he tells Fräulein Kost that this is not the case. Fräulein Schneider has agreed to marry Herr Schultz, and the wedding is in three weeks. And Fräulein Kost and the sailor kind of, you know, she says like, uh, congratulations, and they leave. This is the thing. The marriage proposal did not happen. It was a lie. Herr Schultz basically said this to kind of preserve Fräulein Schneider's dignity, again, a different time. Fräulein Schneider is worried that uh, Fräulein Kost will learn in three weeks when they're not married, and Herr Schultz suggests that they get married for real. Now, Fräulein Schneider asks Herr Schultz if he would have proposed to her had Fräulein Koss not been there, and he tells her maybe not today, but tomorrow. And Fräulein Schneider's a little taken aback by this impulsiveness, and Herr Schultz tells her that she's never been married and it can work wonders. Now, I think that's interesting to point out because, again, we see that Fräulein Schneider is a little bit hypocritical. She judges Fräulein Koss for having sex and not being married, but in the song So What, Fräulein Schneider had mentioned having a man before, and it's implied there was a relationship, one would probably assume, of a sexual nature between the two. At first, when I watched this musical, I just kind of assumed that Fräulein Schneider was married before. But in this scene, we learn that this wasn't the case. Herr Schultz had been married at one point. Presumably, his wife either passed away, I would assume. But Fräulein Schneider had not been married at this point. That leads us to the song, Married. Characters in the song are Fräulein Schneider and Herr Schultz. Uh, Herr Schultz is kind of the one singing. Fräulein Koss is also in this song, but she's not part of the scene. It takes place in the characters, or Fräulein Schneider's living room, and the song is non-diegetic. Like It Couldn't Please Me More, the other song between Fräulein Schneider and Herr Schultz, we have a third person on stage, in this case Fräulein Koss, who's not actually part of the scene. It's more of a symbolic and figurative thing, perhaps a presence that we maybe haven't considered, hint, hint, rather than 
Here's Fräulein Kost actually in the living room with Fräulein Schneider and Herr Schultz as he proposes. The song is basically Herr Schultz singing about how wonderful it is to be married. Fräulein Kost also sings, but she sings in German. But the German translation, it's, you know, not directly the exact same thing as the English lyrics, but it's the same idea. It's basically all about how wonderful it is to be married, how your dumpy house turns to a beautiful castle, and the gray skies turn to blue, and it's beautiful, and it's, you know, it's a let's get married because getting married is a wonderful kind of song. So after that song, we have a scene. It takes place at Herr Schultz's fruit shop. It's likely three weeks after that last song, Married. And the characters in the scene are basically the whole company of the show. The Kit Kat Club performers aren't actually the people at the Kit Kat Club performing. They're playing dual roles of guests at the dance. And this is basically a party celebrating the engagement of Herr Schultz and Fräulein Schneider. There's a band playing. The band's the same band that's been on stage playing for the rest of the musical. People are drinking, they're dancing, they're having fun. Cliff has just gone back from Paris from his trip and he talks to Sally. She asks him how Paris was and he says he didn't get to see anything, but he's happy to be getting rid of this briefcase. Cliff and Sally present Herr Schultz and Fräulein Schneider with a present, a beautiful crystal fruit bowl. And Herr Schultz says that as long as they're married, it will be full of fruit. Basically, thank you for the gift where it's go- we're going to be abundant and love and all that stuff. Fräulein Kost comes in with the sailor. Now, she wasn't invited to the party because Fräulein Schneider says she knows she works in the evening, which is a fucking date if I do say so myself. Fräulein Kost tells Fräulein Schneider it's okay, she's got the night off, and she tells her date, the sailor, to dance with Fräulein Schneider, likely because she knows that this will embarrass Fräulein Schneider. Ernst then comes into the party. He's wearing a long trench coat. He greets Sally and Cliff, and he retrieves the briefcase from Cliff. Cliff and Sally start to dance. Fräulein Schneider then greets Ernst, who wishes her much happiness, and he says that he wants to meet the groom-to-be. Fräulein Schneider warns Ernst that Herr Schultz has been drinking little schnapps. The two meet. Herr Schultz is in a good mood, and he's a little drunk. Fräulein Schneider tells Herr Schultz, it's, you know, he's probably had enough to drink, and he should stop. And Herr Schultz makes a comment that it's good to have someone care if he makes a fool of himself. So then Fräulein Kost approaches Ernst. They had kind of met very briefly in the first scene that we see of Fräulein Kost. I can't remember if I mentioned that or not. But she suggests that they dance. Ernst asks Cliff to hold his briefcase in his coat, which he agrees to. And when Ernst takes off his coat, we see a swastika armband. So Ernst is a Nazi. Cliff is shocked, and he asks if this is the quote-unquote good cause that Ernst has been talking about. Ernst says their party will build the new Germany, and he tells Cliff not to worry about politics because the two of them are friends. And Ernst and Fräulein Kost dance. Ernst says that Herr Schultz is a very generous host. And Fräulein Kost tells Ernst that that's because Herr Schultz is Jewish. Now she phrases that in a very less than nice way. When she says this, the music literally stops. There is a needle drop. So the music stops for a moment to be a holy shit kind of moment after Fräulein Kost makes this comment. This is the thing. Herr Schultz did mention having good matzel for the new year, which is a Yiddish term. You know, the seeds are planted. He doesn't say, hi, I'm Herr Schultz and I'm Jewish, but it doesn't come completely out of the blue, but yet it's still sort of surprising. And Ernst says that he's changed his mind about this party and excuses himself from Fräulein Kost. So Ernst goes over to Fräulein Schneider and he tells her that they've been friends for years and he sent her many lodgers and he says that this marriage is not advisable for her own welfare. And when she asks what about Herr Schultz's welfare, Ernst says to her, he's not a German. And even when she says he was born here, Ernst just says goodnight to her and he goes to get his briefcase and coat from Cliff. So Verlin Koss sees this. She sees that Ernst Ludwig is leaving and she asks him why. And he says he doesn't find this party amusing anymore. And Verlin Koss tells Ernst that they should stay and they will make the party amusing. And she begins to sing. 
And this leads us to the Act 1 finale of Cabaret, which is a reprise of the song Tomorrow Belongs to Me. We're still at the fruit shop, we're still at the dance. Characters in this song are basically everyone. Pretty much the only people who aren't singing in this song are Fräulein Schneider, Herr Schultz, Sally, and Cliff, and the MC, depending on the production, including the 98th arrival. The song is diegetic, which means that Fräulein Kost is at this party, and she is stopped to literally sing this song in front of all these people. So the song starts with Fräulein Kost singing Tomorrow Belongs to Me, and she tells Ernst to sing along with her. Then everyone else on stage, other than the characters I mentioned before, starts singing. The MC at this point is not on stage. He appears at the very end of the song to moon us with swastika on his butt. We can tell from the song that things were getting darker, things were getting darker. But as we see Fräulein Schneider, Herr Schultz, Sally and Cliff just kind of standing on the periphery, just watching in kind of horror, that shit's about to get real. So much of the first act of this musical is about the fun and the decadent life of the performers and other people at the Kit Kat Club. At the beginning of the musical, the MC told us to leave our troubles behind. Not to worry. And despite kind of knowing the reality of what's going to happen in Berlin in the 1930s, we do. We just go, yep, this is fun. We kind of lose ourselves to this fantasy and to this idea that, well, to quote the song, uh, life is a cabaret, chum, come to the cabaret. But for anyone who has an inkling of world history, and I'm not a historian, knows kind of what's going on in the 1930s and what's going, what's happened, what's going to happen in Germany. There'd been an economic recession, starting to see the rise of fascism, of Hitler coming to power at the Reichstag, the start of concentration camps in the Holocaust, the beginning of World War II at the end of the decade. Cabaret doesn't really touch on any of this until the end of the first act. It's one of those musicals where it slowly starts to sprinkle in these things, and then by the end you're going, holy shit, this was amazing. And this was not at all what I thought it was going to be. That was Act 1 of Cabaret, and that's the end of this episode. It's a little long, but um, that's why I decided not to do Act 1 and Act 2 together. So in the next episode, I'll go through Act 2 of Cabaret, which is a little bit shorter, because usually Act 2 of a musical is a little shorter. And I'm going to do a little bit more in-depth like, character analysis in that episode, hopefully, as well. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. Don't forget to check out the resources for this episode by going to takemetotheworld.com. Click the podcast category and click on this episode, which is number 12. And you can also subscribe to the episode here. Thanks very much for listening. And I hope you guys have a great day.